here we go. Hello, I'm Nick. This is Nick Flanagan Weekly. You're listening to it. You're listening to me. Thank you for doing that. And I'm not going to keep this cadence the whole time, but sometimes this is the cadence I have. So just just letting you know if you're a cadence head, occasionally uh, this is a cadence I fall into. Other times it's this more like this, and I'm just kind of going on and partying, and my voice is... Okay, I'm uh, not even that impressed by that cadence. Look, enough about cadence. Welcome to the podcast. I have a guest today. My guest is none other than Damien Abraham. You might know him as the singer in <laughs> Fucked Up. You might know him as the host of the podcast, the hit podcast, Turned Out a Punk. You might know him as the host of uh, who traveled the world for the Viceland show, The Wrestlers, which I'm about to do a deep dive into, and I can't wait. Uh, he and I go way back, as I've discussed. Uh, he's also been a guest already on the show uh, in a in a three-person episode with Danko Jones, who then went on to do a solo episode. So this is Damien's solo episode, and I think we get into a bunch more stuff. I don't think it repeats a lot. And in fact... Danko Jones did a podcast with Damien and I days before I did this podcast with Damien, and I don't think there's much repeat material there. We all like to talk, and we all like to talk about a lot of different things. Uh, You've got to listen to Turned Out a Punk. If you haven't, he's had a wide variety of guests, including Fred Armisen, Anthony Anthony Bourdain, Linda Ramone, uh, who is Johnny Ramone's widow, uh, recently. That was a recent guest. And... um, He's just asking what got these people into punk and things unfold from there. And it's it's pretty amazing. I've also been a guest, as have quite a few of my guests have also been guests on Turned Out of Punk. Just off the top of my head, I know uh, Danko has and Allison Baker has, my good pal Allison, and I have. So am I a guest on my own podcast, though? That's a really good question. I'm certainly a guest in podcast culture. So... I am going to tell you it is snowing outside. Yesterday was the grayest day I've ever experienced. And it's just nice to be here talking to you, even though right now I'm not talking to you. It hasn't been put out. So the only one who's hearing it is me. But I will say it's nice talking to me through my headphones. Uh, Okay. Well, here is the thing. Damien is on Twitter at Left for Damien. Fucked Up have a Twitter account as well, and a band camp, and a website where you can hear their music. You can also hear them on Spotify. They are a great band. Uh, They were part of this whole thing in the 2000s where punk, hardcore punk that had a very distinct rock and roll and 80s hardcore influence uh, gained a little bit of traction. A lot of it was from Toronto, and uh, my band was part of that too. I kind of, kind of, uh, we were the garage rockin' version of that, Brutal Nights. And, uh, you know, Damien I've known since we were both under 18, just going about business in, in the city, uh, going to indie shows, punk shows. He worked at a video store I went to all the time, Suspect Video. Rest in peace. They have a podcast, too. I can't wait to listen to it. Anyway, write the podcast at Weekly Podcast at gmail.com contribute at ko-fi.com 
ko-fi.com slash Nick Flanagan, patreon.com slash Nick Flanagan. If you want, that really helps me continue the podcast, and I'm very grateful for anyone who's helping me right now. I'm going to record a solo episode after this, so I'm just going to, at this point, say enjoy my talk with Damian Abraham. That's good. From the six. Would you play D&D if we started playing D&D again? I don't know. I mean, I love Dungeons and Dragons, but I haven't followed the new Dungeons and Dragons. And I we play uh, old system. Yeah, and and the old system, second edition. If you're talking about, no, I can't we, do first edition. You would do first edition. I mean, I would. I just never really played that much first edition. Why not? Why no second edition for you? Because uh, I got all the books from Nick Sewell's garbage. Uh, Nick Sewell, first edition. <laughs> Nick Sewell is a famous musician here in Toronto <clears throat> and abroad. Oh, definitely. Like, uh, you know, I think. I think Illuminati were incredible. Yeah. You know, biblical is incredible, obviously, to this day. Biblical. But uh, Illuminati, Chort. Chort. Let's go back. Yeah, but I think Chort is one of those bands that we have a real problem in this country with canonization of of rock culture, music culture. Okay, so music we, culture. we put the music culture in the canon, and then we, we blast it into the landfill. We don't. Yeah, exactly. And That's then you have to go to the landfill, yeah, and you exactly. have to be... Who's Mendelssohn Joe? Yeah, you have to really. Who's Ben Kerr? Yeah, you have to really dig Stomp up. Stomp and Tom Connor. They're gone. Even Stomp and Tom Connors doesn't quite have the place in the Canadian. No. Um, you know, when when I think of like, um, what would you call it? Almost datey. You know, the, he's the our Johnny, icons. He's of like our Johnny Cash here. Like <laughs> he would be our Johnny Cash, right? I mean, like, it's kind of like if you mix like Johnny Cash and Moondog, maybe. <laughs> Like, like yeah, who would have wanted a it's fight? Got a Daniel Johnson, Johnny Cash, <laughs> mixed with um, what's his name, Quintron, the guy who <laughs> do the puppet shows and shit. No, that's Mr. Foot. No, Quintron. Yeah, but, but pre Miss Pussycat, Quintron with the helmet thing, right? on yeah. and the organ. Um, uh, <laughs> who do you think would win in a fight, though? I've uh, got questions like that for you too. Johnny right? Cash or or uh, Stomp and Tom? I think Stomp and Tom would have stomped his ass. Oh, Stomp and Tom. I don't think I think Stomp and Tom pro- probably uh, hit a few darts, you know, smoked some cigs, had some whiskey. Uh, I think Johnny Cash probably ravaged his body to the point. If we're to, well, it depends. What we're talking about speed, Johnny Cash. Maybe he's beating. Uh, I think even then, Stomp and Tom would have come in. He would have been like, "All right, come they, with us." They say Stomp, John. Yeah. Oh, because his name was Stompin'. Yeah. Well, that that would be his finisher. Have you ever six in the corner to stomp your fucking face? <laughs> Have you ever thought of uh, kind of rebooting Celebrity Deathmatch, the MTV show the with PlayStation you know, or PlayStation Plasticine animation? <laughs> Playmation. I, I bring it Claymation. back. I bring it back with PlayStation animation. PlayStation animation. Play, what's your favorite edition of PlayStation? Do you have one? Do you care? I have a, a three, and I've had um, yeah. twos. Yeah, and I've looked at a four, but I think I'm just going to wait to get a five now. Yeah, I wonder if it's going to be backwards compatible. That's this the, is the kind of thing we worry about. That's what I'm really hoping Well, the for. word is maybe not. Really? The, the, well, the problem is, you know, now they have these net stores all the time. Yeah. So it makes more sense to be able to, like, download a game that is made for that, like, is is close to remade for that system, reprogrammed for that system, rather than them to just allow you to play all the old cartridges. You know, like, it's kind of a favor. Yeah. Like, it's not a favor. It's what they should do. You know, but uh, they'll make a lot more money if they make it so you can like order 
Online. Grand Theft, you know, like San Andreas online and play it on your PS5. I would have thought just as a Or game. that you join PS, the like a, 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 a one of these things we talked about the other day on Danko Jones podcast. You pay $11.99 a month. Yeah, streaming service. And you get like through PS Plus, like you can download all those games for free. The problem is I don't find they play the same no. off, off like a streaming thing as they would off a cartridge. Or no disc, I guess, cartridge and disc. I mean, I've got all that stuff over there. I've got a. I've got PlayStation. Cartridges play different than than disc games, right? I think so. There's the cartridges be. are so cool because you yeah. just put them in and you flip the switch, and then it's like you're at the start screen immediately. Yeah. yeah. And there's none of this rigmarole. Yeah. And uh, and the 64, I remember just like I remember buying a 64 instead of a PlayStation at the time because. You, the, it was just way more responsive. I found the controls like when I was playing those games. It was slower, yeah. but more yeah. responsive. There are people who are Nintendo people, and then there are people who are general people. And I get the sense you're in. in you might have some Sega in you. No, I got, I got, I got some Sega in me. I had a, I had a Master System. I didn't have uh, a NES. Yeah, my parents uh, took me into. By the way, Did you have Beta. Growing by up the way, too? we're. T- I was a Beta growing Same up. Same here. So <laughs> my my guest today Segas is and Betas. It's kind. Of, it's your second appearance, really. It's my second time. Yeah, but this is your first solo appearance. It's my first time, Damian, as a solo warrior here. You were here with uh, Denko. I was here. Jones. I was here with the Black Coffee Brigade. Full on. That's what we're called, the Black Coffee Brigade. There's other people in it. Wade McNeil from Alexis on Fire. Duff McKagan from a little. Apparently, Duff McKagan. Yeah, I guess one day I'll meet that guy. Yeah, and then uh, <laughs> I, uh, I don't know why I assumed. <laughs> you that. don't believe he exists. He's he like your seems kind of like one of those guys you might meet if you're. Well, if you turns out it was just Danko pretending to be Duff McKagan the whole time. <laughs> With a mask, <laughs> yeah, like Alapoparu, a hairpiece and a mask. Where's Duff? I saw Duff with my own eyes. So we're the Yellow Tea Brigade, right? The, today we're the Yellow Tea Brigade, and we're filming this, so it's going to look pretty sketchy. It's going to look like Waterworld, you know? Drinking your own pee. I know a lot of people that do that, like, now willingly. Like, in Waterworld. Really? <laughs> like it was set up as some, like, dystopic future thing. What's your take on Gwyneth Paltrow and what she's doing? Uh, with goop? With goop and the um, vaginal eggs and vaginal rejuvenation and, like, you know, sort of borderline anti-vax crystal cures and it, toxic person removal. Like, that stuff just doesn't exist to me. Oh, You know, yeah. like, I'll see it come up. I've got friends that write about it, and, and, and it's obviously engaged to them. And Opine. I think, they opine but, about this. Yeah, but, like, for me, it's just, like, a completely different universe. Like, it's like when I work at the video store and someone come in and ask me about it like an anime series, I'm like, right. I don't know at all about that. Like, I really think... Is there a good Yu-Gi-Oh! to start <laughs> at? Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> like, Hi, does Ninja Scroll... Should I read the scroll first? <laughs> What's Ranma half? <laughs> like, Ranma half. Ranma one half. I like... Uh, <laughs> I actually do like Ninja Scroll, though. Yeah. no, That was like one of the crossover the ones. The ones that you always see are like Ghost in the Shell... That was like the uh, yeah. That was like the yeah, Ghost in the Shell, Akira, Ninja, Ninja Scroll, Kira, definitely Legend uh, of the Overfiend. Well, if you're a sir, I never saw Legend. <laughs> that of the was Overfiend. in TV Movie Center, just on the shelf, like it's a normal. <laughs> we rented Akira, Ghost in the Shell. We're like, well, I guess this is the next one. You got to rent Legend of the Overfiend, and uh, of course, um, later on, Cowboy Bebop, and uh, I know Go Go Thirteen. That's a big one. Go Go Thirteen, and. Yeah. Uh, there's one last one I thought that was very indicative of like classic. Oh, Neon Genesis Evangelion. Oh, and, then, and then also all the uh, what's his name films. 
Uh, Jim Jarmusch. Yeah, Jim Jarmusch. Those are just so the end of Ghost Dog and Mem- whatnot. Oh, uh, remember... Uh, Toto Lahira. Oh, yeah, yeah. Spirited Away. Spirited Away. Uh, whatever. Uh, Mia, is- Miyamoto, I believe is his name. <laughs> Isn't that his name? No, I don't think it is. Mizahi. Yeah. Yeah, Mizaki. Miyaki. No. Fuck. Isaac Masarahi? No, it's not. That this is going that. terribly. Yeah, this is really weird. Like, this is so awful. <laughs> Keep the ball in play, buddy. Here's Keep my impression ball. of everyone who hears me do anything for the first time. Oh, is this person an asshole? <laughs> and then, like, five times in, they're like, mm, no. <laughs> kind you, of no. You, you, you're a grower. I, no, I'm, a, I'm a grower in the shower. Well, I you grow <laughs> hair. I grow hair. I'm like a chia pet. Well, I grew shower. up with you, Nick. Yes. We grew up together. We went to the, the streets of Toronto. Daycares. We're the we're like, you know, I would say teen crud, uh, fucked up later, following in your footsteps. Uh, <laughs> Just barely later. De- deadly really. snakes. Uh, sure. We're like head cleaner. Did you follow my old band head cleaner? Not really. No. <laughs> we were the we were the few bands that uh, that were like you know a few Toronto bands from Toronto. Yeah, that's true, because especially at that time in that world of like sort of not total indie rock, I would call it like, you know, what would you call it? Like more aggressive music, basically. I don't know, like broadly termed alternative. But basically you would pair bands like ours with ska bands or pop punk bands, (laughs) which were generally, if they were from the, uh, you know, Canada, they would be from like Burlington, like just the satellite areas. I mean, one of the things that happened when I was first getting into uh, indie music was uh, felt like all the bands that I was seeing were basically, maybe they live in Toronto now, but they were from like Pickering, Ajax, Whitby. Probably because you can like practice in a garage or something there. Yeah, I think also that's where like the music scene was, right? Like, I remember when I started going to shows, like getting into more kind of the, you know, when I started really going to shows, like outside of just like the more pop punk stuff that was happening downtown when it was just touring bands, like getting mm-hmm. into local stuff. The scene was really like in the suburbs, like Hamilton and Burlington were like chokehold and right. grade. And those were like the big bands from the area. But I was never, never that ambitious. Toronto. I was never that ambitious. I was always just, you know, I went to these venues like Sneaky D's. They let me in and uh, I would see enough music I really liked that I wasn't like, got to go to Hamilton. Did you, you ever know. see No Offense? No, Noah yeah. Offense? Yeah. I mean, I guess because I know that name. Yeah, that, I mean, is that rap related? No, that's the pre-five up with Chuckle Band. Yeah, I mean, I probably saw that. You know who you would have hung out with then? No. Professional Wrestling Hall of Famer, Edge. Oh, was he in that band? He was their homie. He was their homie. He was their dude. He would go and see him. No offense. I might have seen and no Five Uncle Chuckle. Later, Five Uncle Chuckle. Now yeah. old. A bunch of the dudes are in the band. O-L-D-E. Good. Old. Good Doom band. Do you think, how long do you think the punk reunion train is going to keep rolling? Where is it at now? I think it's kind of over. Well, like... Like nothing's left. Like really, the misfits were the uh, the Grail. The Grail. Like the only thing we have to hope for is one day the election of President Punk. Right. And then by presidential decree, he forces a minor threat or Fugazi reunion because those are really like the only holdouts at this point when you think about it. Well, I guess like a true damage era Black Flag reunion or a true, you know, like that. That would that's never going to happen. Like a Keith Morris. Like, with or Black my Flag. war era. Not go cool. Keith Morris with Black Flag. That's happened. Like him and him and 
they've done stuff him and Ginn years ago. I think in the early two thousands they did some stuff together. Right. But I don't think Rollins and Ginn have ever gotten in the same room to do something. So that would be you know shocking and Jello with the Dead Kennedys. I would be shocked by that. What's the best rap show you've ever seen? Uh, like now <laughs> probably stuff I've seen in the last few years. You know, like oh, like when you go to see like a show like. Uh, that big group it's kind of punk but that band horror their shows are fucking wild like horror Moffitt. yeah like h i don't know oh nine nine oh oh yeah i like that kind of thing uh uh jazz cartier like a couple years ago in toronto was the show was nuts like you know i went to i saw like you know epmd back in the day yeah i've seen epmd it didn't really they seemed no. like they were uh contractually bound that's to what, perform you know live yeah, no offense to epmd no no offense to like the one of the greatest <laughs> rap groups ever and very if you see beef too a very intimidating group we as were well. just talking about that too um, there was and, some and beef. no disrespect to rap back then because obviously there were incredible live shows and things like that but i remember seeing eminem at the opera and you dropped the mic and the live tape kept going and it was like brutal he got booed off the stage and gave everyone the finger when was that uh my name is time Hi. It was his first, is, first show hi. at the Opera House. He was is, still doing the mushroom hi. rap thing when you had beef with uh, Cage. I never meant to give you <laughs> mushrooms, girl. I never meant to take... I listened to like this little <laughs> yeah, shady that, that LP song? basically in, uh, in full the other day, walking home. Uh, and um, it's still pretty enjoyable. Actually. Yeah, like it, 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 he... I always enjoyed his cameos, like on that High and Mighty record or on Sound Bombing. Well, he has two. that great song with the Mad Rapper. Yeah, the Outsiders. Uh, effing Crazy. Yeah. You sing in the band Fucked Up. The song is called Effing Crazy. Also, 365 with Scam, when he talks about in Stan, that shit with Stan. Uh, I even like that underground shit oh, yeah, you did with scam. scam. That song, 365, is very good. And I want to say that song, Stan. Yeah. For like a mainstream pop song, I'm gonna put that up there with like Earl's Gotta Die and like there's just certain songs where you're like, fuck, that's like a real original way to write a song. And like Well, yeah, he's done that at that period of time. That was I think what people liked about Eminem was even that song, um what's it called? Uh it's a uh you know, the one that's like so long. You did me so wrong. I don't want to go on living in this world <laughs> without you. Well, I mean, this, you know this was... record intimately. Yeah. And, See, if we did uh, Sex Tiles by Cool Keith, I could go like that with you. <laughs> I've been re-listening to Cool Keith. Same well. here. I've been listening a lot. I met him one time and interviewed him. I interviewed him over the phone and I loved it so It was much. so awesome. Same yeah. here. Like he, uh, he told me I could eat, get buy fruit with him in Brooklyn the next time I was there. He asked me where I should go shopping, where you need to go shopping in Toronto. And he's like, <laughs> and he's like, you know what for? And I'm like, yes, I do, sir. You like need sex, to go to Young and Dundas. Sex goods? <laughs> yeah. Uh, north. That's so funny. Um, he, I've never seen someone make people wait for so long at a show. I mean, I have seen it, but he's quite a mess. I saw him really, really, really uh, in Scarborough. It was in Montreal that Cool okay. Keith. Uh, and then why? Uh, you know, his thing is he has to go shopping before he plays a show, <laughs> and he has to go shopping for movies and D that's DVDs, DVDs, <laughs> and that happens every night before he plays. DVDs. Like, that's his, like, that's how he gets amped for the show because that's what he did in Toronto. Everyone was waiting two hours before he got here. But there's already amps at the show. Well, not not these kind of amps. Oh, I see. <laughs> these can't. These kind of amps don't run on gas. It's called visual Viagra. They run on semen. 
Visual Viagra, that's what the next uh, audio, call, call the next fucked up album Audio Viagra. Don't think that works for us. But so, yo, get this. You know that Cool Keith on Dr. Octagon sheds a spaz, right? Yeah. And then he did a drop. Like for spaz. spaz. He did a drop for spaz too. What did he say? Uh, I don't know. It's on one of the spaz records. Yeah. Um, but because Spaz's roadie was Dan the Automator's roommate. Some wild <laughs> stuff. Uh, you know, I just found this out. You want to talk about obscure facts to Let's me. Go. Let's go. I love this shit. So yesterday for a group of uh, people I was holding hostage musically, I uh, put on the Reba McIntyre version of uh, The Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia, which the first time I heard it at some award show, her singing it, possibly a cappella. What uh, award show? Country Music Awards, I'm sure. What, you were there? No, they used to have a channel. The why country you, music station the, country music the tnn the nashville network why, why are you watching this they used to show tna wrestling if you'll recall yeah, well, like so it doesn't mean you had to stay on there after that I, when i was a kid it was an, an option because you had hee-haw was on it there'd be commercials <laughs> for ray stevens yeah uh uh you'd often see the great glenn campbell hosting a show oh my god this was like that channel for me was like Flip the channel and move on. And when it turned to CMT, Country Music Television, that was when I got off the bus. Well, there were two different channels, right? Well, one ended and the other <clears throat> one started. One became Spike. TNN, yeah. TNN <laughs> the, the National Spike. Network became Spike. The Men's Network. I am Spike. just <laughs> so amazed at this conversation so far. <laughs> this is how we go, buddy. I came here and did a bunch of dabs before I got here. Oh, I'm yeah. like, we're going to be flying, Nick. Dads with dabs. Dads with dabs. Um... But what were we talking about before we got to Eminem and watching? Oh, we're talking about the best li rap live shows. I've oh, ever all seen, I too. was going to say about Eminem was that on Future, I saw a Future one time. It was fucking crazy. I saw a Future and it was crazy, but I wasn't crazy for it. I saw Eminem again at the Warp Tour. Yo, do you remember the Warp Tour in 1999 where you had Ice T, Blink 182, <laughs> Eminem, the Black Eyed Peas before Fergie joined? Wow, seven seconds. And Scarhead <laughs> all on a tour together. Pennywise, Less Than Jake, Suicidal Tendencies. Mm. Like, this is the greatest rock tour ever assembled. I mean, individually, I'm like, yeah. Collectively, I'm like, not going. Dude, <laughs> I that, can't really explain it. It's like the Voltron of just awkward situations. And the show in Toronto, a tornado nearly hit. That's yeah. what I'm saying. It's the kind of thing that's so crazy that like weather emergencies will happen because of how odd it is as a combination. Uh, it was an odd future that day. But Eminem had some very creative conceptual songs. There was the song Just the Two of Us that was the Will Smith parody where it was basically that he'd killed Kim, his wife, and yeah, she and was in, in the trunk. trunk. And yeah. then he his daughter helps him throw the body. Oh, yeah. But then he did that song afterwards, which I don't Could you remember imagine the name being of. Like this is gonna hit. This is gonna be something I'm gonna look back so, upon. Yeah. So, like. so that then on the next record he does this prequel song, where he is driving Kim to where he's gonna kill her, and he is rapping a conversation between him and Kim, and that's why they bleep they bleep out the part where he goes. There's a six year old uh, little boy there with a slit throat. Like the idea was he'd killed her new husband and child. Oh my. And his child, and it was ah. taking her to murder her. So, like, and when I listened to that, do you know what I thought of that? Of that was my justification for like why I was listening to it. And I don't really stand by this at all, but I'm just, I'm just, it was that it was 
along the lines of all the murder ballads that have been out since all of yeah. for, for like a hundred years, you know? Yeah. And, and so I said, this is not but, good. Sometimes you need to. One thing that separates is you're like being like, this is the right. mother of my child. Right. This is more like a murder ballad. If it was like <laughs> yeah. Johnny Cash like wrote a, it like about murder, June. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's like <laughs> I killed June. And... June's gone. Yeah. Like if he'd called the song yeah. June's gone. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing uh, what has been both acceptable in the past uh, to get through and uh where we're at now that's got to be one of the most fucked up gold platinum records of all time like you were gonna like one in a million guns and roses i put forth to you the album the dark carnival by icp <laughs> what's on the dark carnival oh who knows oh wait is that the one where it's got the 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 uh the silhouette clown yeah that was like the one that made them famous with juggalo homies on it Homies, that song. Yeah, that song's incredible. <laughs> that, that song, song is, sounds basically like a hardcore song. That song, that song, like I wanted, like fucked up. My dream for fucked up was that that would be our entrance music, and we'd exit the stage to "Bro Him" by Pennywise. Okay, like a sandwich of the best of '90s ballads. Those are also like when you think about those two bands, those are their poser songs. Like those are the songs that all the posers will like. Right. So you're the poser with them. Totally. You know, like same with uh, you know, like if you like. Grateful Dead, and you're like, oh, Touch of Grey is my favorite song. Okay. That's the Poser song, right? Well, do you remember when they put out the, the Magnets video, and then they became this kind of yeah. early YouTube, Twitter viral yeah. smash? Yeah. Uh, and everyone made fun of them for saying, Magnets, what's whatever. What's yeah. up with what's them? Up with How that? do they yeah. work? And Miracles was the name of the song. Miracles. And uh, uh, how do Magnets work? <sighs> Yeah, no, it's a good question. No, I do remember. You know, answer weekly podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> the neutrons, the electrons, and yes. all that stuff, you know. I think the thing is, like, most of us would be like, have that thought in our head when we smoked weed and then Google it and be like, oh shit, that's how they work. Do you know, Nas has a lot of songs where Nas is like, telephones, why? You know, like he's, he's very bright, but he has a lot of songs where he's like, how come weather goes from east? You know, like like how come we start at winter? Where do weather? Where do seasons start? Like, what's yeah. the order of seasons? Well, these are all questions. You know, we've we've all smoked weed and thought of these things. And so the order of seasons, if we're going by the calendar year, is winter, sp spring, summer, fall. Uh, well, kind of like halfway through winter, and then right? winter again. Halfway through winter, or kind of through winter. So it goes. So there's five seasons. I think it's still the four seasons. I think we <laughs> no, took. Go, I think we took. You got second natural, winter. We took, we took a natural four season system, mm -hmm. and then just stamped on this like weird twelve month calendar system. Um, yeah, that's true. The seasons existed before the. Oh, the, yeah. we, we chronicled time, and seasons only exist the way they do here, right? Remember, in Australia, New Zealand, it's it's. It's different. Japan. Oh, yeah. Everywhere has... Hemisphere is different. Okay. So you host a show <laughs> called The Wrestlers. Yeah. How similar is it to the movie The Wrestler? Uh, I think The Wrestler is certainly a bit of an inspiration for me. Like when that came out and I saw it and I was like, holy shit, those are the real wrestlers playing all the secondary characters. Except for Judah Friedlander, right? No, exactly. They're yeah. real. Like they're like actors in it and various people like Mickey Rourke and stuff. But like, you know, I was watching wrestling at the time and they, they incorporated it into the WWE angle. Like Jericho got mm -hmm. an amazing story about 
uh, Mickey Rourke thinking it might be real when he showed up to the <laughs> WWF and thinking he might have to like actually fight Chris Jericho. I've seen this quit. I've seen this. I quit match stuff and I can't, I can't. <laughs> yeah. hang, he showed hang. up with Frank Shamrock, uh, Ken Shamrock, the, like an MMA legend. Yeah. And the story is Jericho's like standing backstage and looking at the, these guys in the ring, like Mickey Rourke and Frank Sam, Shamrock and another guy they showed up with to kind of like, you know, make sure it was okay. And Vince McMahon walked up beside Chris Jericho and was like, who's the midget? And he goes, <laughs> you mean Frank Shamrock? He's like, yeah. If a fight goes down, you get Mickey and I got the midget. He's like, okay, Vince, yeah, you take down the MMA legend. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it, it was definitely an inspiration on the show. Something I did like on Twitter, and there's very little I do, is when um, there were like all those anecdotes about Vince McMahon being passed around and what – uh eccentric person he sounds like oh yeah definitely Any, anyone who's been around him you know who actually has got great stories a couple good stories about him kevin drew from broken social scene oh why did they have to do a battle royal no he used to <laughs> be a like pa this? for the advertising agency that did their canadian promotions oh yeah so he'd have to run around backstage just running errands and like stories about running into the rock like physically running into the rock and rock being super nice and stories about Vince McMahon being terrifying and, yeah you know, it all comes back to wrestling, Nick. Screw you, Austin. You're fired. Kiss my ass. Where to, Stephanie? Now, if you don't know what any of these sayings mean, you need to get in one of those time machines. Yeah. Don't watch the wrestlers. Go we're not, to we weren't allowed to mention the WWE. At the time, it was called WWF. Yeah. And uh, The Attitude Era. That was what I was going to say. That's one of my questions here. Uh What's my favorite era of WWF? Who is your favorite WWF Attitude Era wrestler? Now, uh, just to give it back, just to give you some more backstory for, I don't know how many mage wrestling heads I have here, but uh, listening. Basically, WWF, you had that, like, we're all toys, kind of Hulk Hogan, Macho Man. The rock and it, wrestling era. Rock and wrestling era. Then this kind of downturn period where they really didn't know what they were doing. And the Hogan's Gone era. Trying to update stereotypes. And, you know, so they got like. Yokozuna. And they got Razor Ramon, who is basically oh, yeah, before that, yeah. playing. Um, like, Al Pacino and Scarface. I was going to say he was actually more like Stephen Bauer, like. Manolo, Manny, and in, in Scarface, like a mixture yeah, of both. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah, he's kind of both. He's definitely like the the. Uh, apparently, the legend is that they actually like got sued over it because it was so close to Scarface. <laughs> or there was a, eventually a lawsuit, certainly between WCW when he started doing the character yeah. in WCW, and they're like, "Oh, well, that's a character you took from here because you're not actually this dude." And then in 1997, 96, once this uh, ECW Extreme Championship Wrestling broke all of the laws of uh, basically the moral laws of wrestling, you know, uh, and and introduced the Japanese uh, a, a lot of Japanese style actual wrestling into it and lucha and lucha style wrestling and major stunts. WWF was like. Let's let's copy this, and thus uh, they jumped on the rap metal bandwagon. <laughs> they had no problem bringing in um, soap opera like elements that were because it was essentially an unsupervised uh, entertainment medium. Medium that had always been a certain way, like the things that it got past censors, like made no sense. They had simulated sex in a in the middle of the ring at one time. Edge and Lita. Yeah, they had... You want to hear something wild? Edge was connected to Five Knuckle Chuckle. 
Uh, and uh, Lita mm-hmm. was also a punk rocker, used to uh, roadie for uh, Avail. Wow. So there you go. Both connected to punk. But That's go on. some wild stuff. Back we're we're going to get there. I have some questions about that, too. I, I audience questions. <laughs> and uh, so your so so there are characters like Beaver Cleavage, uh, who was a, uh, I guess, a leave it to Beaver-esque character, except the idea was his mom was like sexy. That idea lasted one match. Um, there were old lady strip teases. It was like they had. Young gave birth to a hand. Someone gave birth. An old woman gave birth to a hand. Yeah. Uh, there was an episode of the the WWF with Brian Pillman and Steve Austin where like. Then they always took it out of the ring. That was the thing. They had yeah. this whole suddenly the ring was like secondary and they'd just film people like at their homes or backstage. So the idea was Steve Austin's like at home relaxing and Brian Pillman comes in. No, Brian Pillman was at home. Brian Pillman's at home relaxing and Steve Austin comes in and I guess someone's got a gun and the episode ends with like a gunshot. Yeah. <laughs> so the idea is like someone's been killed in wrestling. And that was just the tip of the iceberg. You had D-Generation X and Suck It. And so, and also there were like... Inspiration for an incredible classic Toronto song. Yeah. Two words, Suck It by Teen Crud Combo, which is my ode to that era of wrestling. You have two songs, Suck It, though, but the other one has nothing to do. No, the other one is just, just a silly tune. And... Uh, um, so so it's like the best band ever. <laughs> it's very much unplayable in 2020. <laughs> you live really close to Mary Margaret O'Hara. Yeah, she's on uh, down the street. I went when we went to that house party at her house so many years ago, 20 odd years ago. Yeah, it was like right around the corner from your house. Yes, I could I probably just took a quick stroll. No, I think we were all way. hanging out beforehand. Yeah, no, it, it was, was the night of it was, a night, it was of like a night of a, a show Canadian at the horseshoe. Party, yeah. Teen Court Combo was playing the legendary Horseshoe Tavern. Um, An incredible show. Ripped it up. I think we did rip it up. You did rip night. it up, dude. You definitely ripped it up. And uh, then afterwards, people were like, you want, there's an after party at this house. And we were probably with you at, at that point. And yep. then we all just loaded in. Yeah, Mary Margaret O'Hara's house. And it was Dave Foley was there. Dan Burke was there. Dallas Good probably. Dallas Good was there. Uh, Dave Dillman from uh, Swearing at Motorists because he was smoking weed out of an apple. That was yeah. the first time I ever saw Mike that. Mike Kastner. I mean, Ka- John Kastner. John Kastner was definitely there. Mike Kastner. Mike Kastner was probably there too. <laughs> who's Mike Kastner? I don't know, but he was probably there. <laughs> it was a um, fun night. So who's your favorite WWF Attitude Era wrestler? Uh, I don't know. I guess like maybe Mick Foley. Right. You know, Mankind. Um, oh, Mr. Socko. But if I was going for uh, someone who wasn't necessarily in the WWE, I've always loved Mike Awesome. Who, yeah, the late great Mike the late, Awesome. Great Mike Awesome, who they gave terrible gimmicks to when he was in WCW, but he is like when guy. he was in the Extreme Championship Wrestling, and when he was in uh, FMW in Japan, which is really I never saw that. You didn't see any of those FMW DVDs? You know who did no. commentary on a bunch of them? Dan the Mouth Lebransky. Not surprised. A Toronto legend. Toronto legend. As You know, here's the thing I say. I don't know if I've said it on the air enough. The air. Uh, is that in this city, Toronto, and in any city, I'm sure, nothing's going to happen. You got to make it happen. Yeah. So, you know, you got Dan Lebransky suddenly turned uh, this complete uh, encyclopedia of certain things things yep. he had a college radio show 
He's a wrestling Dr. fanatic. Cabinet. Also a huge fan of Hawkwind, like an expert on Hawkwind. Um, all things Lemmy, I think. Even Motorhead. Yeah, sure, he goes that's deep believable. With. But uh, he wound up, you know, getting involved with wrestling podcast live audio wrestling, and you know, he centralized, uh, helped centralize. Uh, uh, wrestling fans. One of the say. first. By having these pay-per-view yeah. events at places like O'Grady's, I would go to this and, uh, you know, doing live shows there and just kind of, yeah, you know. Yeah, and it, it's, it, uh, it really was like one of the first audio wrestling things because of the radio show before yeah like a podcast yeah usually before a podcast right it was like a terrestrial radio but i would always listen to it online that's why i think of it like a podcast yeah then it went on the iceberg radio as well with duct tape radio the internet saved wrestling internet definitely helped wrestling i would i would follow i don't even remember the name of it but there was a specific website that was catered to the smart mark as they call people who knew the inner workings of wrestling and um it was following all of the crazy drama, which of which there was a lot of between like 1997 and 2001, because it was basically when WWF crushed the competition, basically when ECW got bought by WWF eventually, when, you know, the the writers for the WWF were getting hired by Bischoff, who was like the Mike Bloomberg. WCW was basically like the Mike Bloomberg <laughs> of... Uh, well, WCW and WWE was Trump. Like there was no yeah. Bernie. <laughs> no, there's no. There's the closest no thing to Bernie was maybe ECW. Maybe. But I don't feel like he was fairly yeah, distributing the wealth. I don't know if that was <laughs> a socialist republic in any sort of. Uh, uh, but but <laughs> yeah. So okay, I'm going to tell you mine. Who's uh, yours? For WWF Attitude Era wrestlers. Xbox. <laughs> you look like an Xbox man. <laughs> I mean, D Generation X is very special. But honestly, pound for pound, as a wrestler and as a uh, ring mind and as a personality, I'm going to give it to their biggest star at the time, Mr. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah, yeah. You know, just because Austin was not necessarily the best or the most showy wrestler, but the psychology of his matches was always amazing. Yeah. And... um. His character was ridiculous, but he was also funny. And he made this great transition as his character was like getting tired into just straight up being a comedy wrestler. And he had he would he would do that thing where instead of talking, having a conversation of any type, he'd just go, what? Yeah, he started the most annoying meme ever (laughs) in wrestling. That became like a play to get wadded by the audience now is like you're uh, as you know. You, you, you've, you're not over. Um, how is wrestling and punk rock similar? Have people asked you this question? Before? Uh, oh, I don't know. I think, I think I wrestle with it every day. It's very similar in the sense that they're both like the most honest versions of their art form. You know, like wrestling is, is more honest than any other sport and any other piece of entertainment out there. And the fact that it's like kind of open with its dishonesty, like everyone's lying. And as long as we all know that, it's it's okay. Um, and and punk's the same way. Punk's super cynical about music and stars, you know. And like mm-hmm. this whole system is very open and kind of like antagonistic to it. But like, you know, it still kind of buys into it at the end of the day as well. Which is same with wrestling. Like, you know, it's it's honest that it's lying to you, but it's still lying to you. 
Right. And and so how is punk rock lying to you exactly? Do you think it's because well, like, you know, eventually people want to make a living at something that is a hobby? Because when we were in if you don't bands want to, in the nineties, nobody maybe well that's interesting. Right. Like what eventually like even that? if you didn't want to do it, like you know, like it, I've I've bent over backwards to make sure that I didn't have to rely on the band to be my sole form of income because yeah. Otherwise, I would have fell into a position where it, all of a sudden I woke up and it was, you know, like when my band's not as hot as it once was. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, shit, I'm yeah. relying on this as my job. Yeah. And you've got kids. you got kids. Family. Like, yeah. Like weed. It, weed. Yeah. And, and, and all this time that other people have been putting into making social networks and, and advancing in their career and doing this sort of stuff. You know, ideally, obviously, people situations are fucked up for everyone. But I mean, just in general, you've been on the road living the same day over and over again for, you know, 10 years, five years. Like it's amazing how five years becomes 10 years yeah. in a band. And then you're like stuck with this thing like, oh shit, now I got to fucking find a way to make this work. Yeah. So yeah, like I think punk rock is just, you know, it, uh, it's going to be a victim of the same thing all arts is going to be a victim to, which is the idea that we're all in it at the end of the day for commerce capital. We, we just so that we can keep, the lights stay on. alive yeah we need to like feed ourselves we need to sustain ourselves and and, and punk it, at least was honest about that in a way that a lot of other times hear that you lost a cj ramon interview i did what does cj stand for christopher james oh man i don't i knew this too <laughs> i don't know um do you think uh but when i was in bands like and this is gonna i think lead us into the next question uh Nobody in my band was like, we're going to make a living off doing this. Like, when I was in Brutal Nights. Yeah, but like... And meanwhile, I was like, I can't do anything else. Please, can we at least try to make some money? And we did here and there. Yeah. But. I think like, you know, fucked up. We're called fucked up. I'm 300 pounds at the time. I'm balding. I don't wear a shirt on stage and I normally... But that's ended. Head. Yeah, that ended. But like, at that point... The balding. Yeah. You know, so now it's the same all the time. It's all bald. It's just bald now. But like, you know, we kind of, uh, you know, like the last thing we ever thought was that we we're going to have any sort of commercial success. And this is going to be a living. And then all of a sudden to be at the point where I remember we had the conversation where Mike's like, you know, Sandy and I broke it down. <clears throat> and if we if we do it on the cheap, we can kind of afford to quit our jobs. Like none of us had great jobs at that point. Sandy had the definitely the best job. So Sandy was wa- walking away from the most. Yeah. Um, but the rest of us were like, Okay. And we did, and the, the band became our full-time thing. Um, but it was like, but it was just like all of a sudden, it's like, holy shit. Like, yeah, this could be real for a couple of years. And then a couple of years turns into a few years, and then a few years turns into a decade, and then you're, <laughs> you're in it. And then you're like, uh, we can't actually quit our jobs anymore. We're not making <laughs> enough to quit our jobs now, <laughs> no. but we don't have a job no to jobs quit. to quit. Yeah. Yeah. But that's why, you know, a couple of years ago I started working on other things, you know, and I feel like you've been doing that for a long time. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, your band is there's splinters in, in fucked up that I feel mean some people have like I just feel like there's people who have made themselves a core within the band to work on. And then there's sort of people who are like on call practically. Is that wrong? I don't know. I guess we're all kind of on call, you That's know, hilarious. like, like, uh, I got, I get the call once in a while, like things are kind of in motion. Let's do this. Yeah. And like, you know, at other times, like, you know, like last record, I tried to slam the brakes on it. I'm like, I can't do it. I'm, yeah. I was you were doing all these interviews where you were like, 
oh yeah, I'm probably being phased out of this band because yeah. they're going to need like uh, basically, uh, you know, Scott Walker level uh, vocal quality. They're going to they're going to need Glenn Campbell. And they're going to need. Really, well, they, and, they, and we did on the last record. Like, I only sing about fifty percent of it. Right. Yeah. And um, and I kind of like, which is not completely. There's always an element yeah. of that. Yeah. On I've always been pushed. I pushed that on like other records, definitely. But yeah. this one was almost like, as of just by design, like I didn't write any of the lyrics on the last mm. record because I was doing the wrestling show, so I was away the whole time. Yeah. And every at every step, Mike would be like, "Well, this is ready now. Do you want to do you want to help?" That and was I'd what like, I did for the last Brutal Nights album. I just like went to our drummer's house, John Powers' house, and and Matthew, our bassist, lived there too, and I would just do the vocals on songs that were like basically completely prepared. Although I think I was meeting up with people during the actual, like, obviously with the lyrics, I was writing you the, write the lyrics. lyrics. Yeah. So, like I wasn't even writing the lyrics. Yeah. I was coming in. Like I'd be, you know, Mike would be like, here's a complete song. And he have like his vocal on it being like, here's what I want to do. And then I just go in and do my version of it. How then, does that feel? Uh, well, we've always kind of done stuff like that. Like with yeah. half the record. You know, have the song. I mean, melody is such a specific thing, you know, that if you don't have that, like what your relationship is writing a song together. Yeah. Is your relationship unless you make a very huge effort to change. And and also like given what I do, no matter what you do, I'm going to make it my own just by virtue of what I'm going to do. Well, you put the sexy. I'm going to bring the sexy. Yeah. Like, but like, you know, we've got a vocal, you know, you as well, where it's like, (laughs) it's not like something that you could be like, oh, get that guy. Get that guy in to sing this, uh, <laughs> this like uh, Justin Bieber song, you know. But you know, we've probably both been invited to do vocals on things. Definitely. And you know what? I've done vocals that. On fills things. me with dread when I do. Like I'm always like, oh, am I get, are they going to like what I'm doing? You know. I don't really don't like going out with bands and doing it live. Oh like, yeah, I've know, actually done that with a fucked up song though. I covered Generations by uh, Generation by Fucked Up with with us or Lullaby. No, with uh, yeah, I, uh, it was I a super group of sorts. Not like it was Sebastian from Death from Above, Nick Sewell who we mentioned yeah. earlier, and uh, see, I wouldn't have been Lullaby. It wouldn't have been those guys because we already had a drummer. And, yeah, and that's that's Justin's job. And the dudes actually from uh, Flash Lightning, the ZZ Top style band that would play at uh, um, the Dakota Tavern in Toronto. Wow. Yeah. So we covered that at the world famous Horseshoe Tavern. That's, it's funny that that song is like probably the most like, like it went places for a fucked up song, like weird places. Like, you know, like, you know, you covered it. Lullaby Orchestra covered it. It was, it was my favorite song of, of yours a uh, specific version of it was my favorite but, song of yours and it's because like, but the other version was not my favorite song, favorite song of yours i'm missing in the lyrics still yeah you know like mike wrote lyrics and I, I i changed them when i did in the studio oh great so it's like not even the lyrics he wanted like i think i even and that's a trick it. you would play on him sometimes wasn't it but Especially i think this was even like days. just by accident just by virtue of just going in there and doing it but like mm-hmm. that song also was used as entrance music by Brian Danielson, aka Daniel Bryan from the WWE. That's really cool. And you, you know, you hooked up Dolph Ziggler with that uh, two-word "suck it" song, and he played it, I think, on his podcast before. Oh, Cole Cabana. Cole Cabana. I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I definitely. I was like, when I finally got in touch with Cole Cabana, I'm like, first thing you have to play two words "suck it" by <laughs> T Card Combo. And then another time, I made him. I, I said I'm going to play "Back" by uh, Bob Backlund by. Uh, no offense. Uh, 
Monday night is reserved for Raw. <laughs> it's got a Deborah McMichael reference in it. This is who is this you. episode Dig for? Deep, Dig who is deep. this episode for? So for the millions and millions of people, like w, more people follow WWE on social media than follow all the NFL and all that stuff. Well, I was going to ask you, um, do you have, uh, um, what do you get like recognized the most for when you're out and about on the street with your look? Which looks like you. Uh, yeah. Um, but also the other question is, have you ever been mistaken for a celebrity? Always. Okay, always. so let's let's hear let's Embarrassing, hear terrible Tell ones. me everything. Uh, John Popper from Blues Traveler. <laughs> oh, thanks, Nick. J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah, let me run through some people you give a statement for. What's his name? Killer Mike. <laughs> you look like a serial killer I went to school with. Is that you? Um... Uh, no, uh, I got mistaken years ago. My first time I went to LA on a, when I met Johnny Ramone. The great formative thing for you, meeting yep. Johnny Ramone and having thing. dinner with him and his wife, yep. who has now been a guest on your podcast, and turned Sa- out a punk. Sage Stallone. Sage, all right. Rest in peace. I always thought he died of a drug overdose, but he died of a of a heart defect. In general, oh, heart defect, poor so. guy. Um, not that it matters if he, what he died of, but I. Just I always thought it was sweet that, that his dad put him in Rocky Five. Yeah, he was in a couple of his movies. He was also in that one where he's like under. It's like cliffhanger, but they're in the sewers and there's water. Sewer father. Yeah, sewer sewer, sewer father. I think it's called. sewer father. He was in that movie. He's in a few of his films, um, and he was really nice. We talked about Aww. Switchblade Sisters. Poor guy. Um, but yeah, yeah, very former trip. But I was in the uh, Universal Studios. Used to have a Marvel restaurant. Um, okay. Back then, <laughs> and I'm eating there, and the wait the waiter came up to us, and I'm like 17, right? right. Like I'm not an adult, and he's like, "You were very enthusiastic when you were 17." I was, I was definitely. I'm a, I was a Punisher until recent years, I would say. But um, <laughs> I'm like, you get- until you sustained enough punishment, yeah, exactly. It broke me. He's like, um, "Do you want a?" Free-? He's like, the guy came up to us, and he's like, uh, "Do you guys want a free refill?" And we're like, "Oh, do you have refills here on our, our sodas?" He's like, "No," and then he's like. But for the guy from Smash Mouth, you're not paying for a drink here, my friend. And then walked away. And then you were a little right. I was and like, but I'm were... like 17. Like, they were sad at least like 30. Like, I'd like to buy you and the world a smoke <laughs> yeah. for offering me a refill. I don't know that reference. You don't know. It ain't not junk. I'd like to buy the world a smoke and teach the world to sing in perfect harmony and teach the world. I think that that song, that song is just is like actually in Morse code to me when I hear it. Like, I don't oh. know any of the words like that might as well be walking like that's the only words i know i'm like fairly certain that is a one of the first big u.s mark ronson hits i'm like fairly sure oh i'm sure yeah because it sounds like a mark ronson song but i don't think it's i don't think it is by him you don't think i think he did produce it it we're gonna find it out here on the podcast um mark ronson i was told by a person very close to me that if i were an animal I yeah. like the animal I look the most like is a panda bear. What? No, you don't no, at all like a panda no, bear. No, because she said my eyes like kind of have that downturned panda thing, which I actually kind of get. I think you look like some sort of like lizard. Yeah, I was going to say lizard, but it's a mean thing. I'm like, I, think I look like Rango. Let me tell you anyone ever want to make Hunter Thompson a lizard okay. for children? <laughs> No, he did not write it. Who wrote, no, I thought he produced it. Um, how much did... Oh, Uptown Funk. No. 
Uh, okay, we gotta go. Mark Ronson Discogs. I wonder if Mark Ronson played in like some like he was like oh he was in Leatherface because he's British, right? Yes. His dad's uh, what's his face from uh, John Ronson, the writer. It, no, John Ronson. No, I think they're the same age. DJ probably. Mark Ronson. Wow, he's got a lot of links. <laughs> this is a great podcast right here. You're hearing someone go through their phone. And like, <laughs> Did you see that? There's this guy Dave Rubin who I don't think is very great. And hosts like a uh, online show on theblaze.com. And he had Larry King on his show because he worships Larry King. And Larry what a King. Weird person to li- worship. Who doesn't? I worship Larry King. <laughs> Hi and Mighty uh, Dick Starbuck, porno detective, is one of his first credits. So holy shit, <laughs> it does come back to Def Jux Records and it comes back to That's wild. Ruckus Records. So we're, we're not Dude, look that. at that. Hi and Mighty, Dick Starbuck, Porno Detective. Remember that song? Yeah. Dick Starbuck, Porno Detective. Kind of remember that. Hi and Mighty, that record, we should we should just do like a live listening party. We should do a DJ. We should do some reaction record. videos, I think. For every um, action, there is a... a... Nikki Costa, Sean Paul, Duffy Rock was an early one. This sounds like... Is it Dutty Rock or Duffy Rock? Dutty Rock, sorry. <laughs> Duffy Rock. Glass a little dirty right now. <laughs> I got a, a cloth Do you, have, for you. Do you have a cloth? I would love a cloth. Yeah. Okay, production. That was his writing credit. So, um, a power rule rhymes to bust. It's your right is his first production let credit. Me, let me just do this fast. <laughs> no, he didn't do it, Nick. You're totally wrong on that. You're just, it sounds like a Mark Ronson production, but it's not a Mark Ronson production. Dick Starbuck. Oh, he produced. Detective. Uh, Amory and um, he did all hip hop. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And then um, I want to look for Walking on the Sun. Let's see who produced it. Yeah. Maybe it's like. So okay, so you, you were mistaken. <laughs> you were mistaken for I was mistaken that for him. guy. I was mistaken one time for Ill Bill. Hilarious. People have come up to ask me if I was LP. Anyone uh, think you're no, LP? No one's ever thought I was LP. Um, he's got a full head of hair though. Uh, Action Bronson. One time, yeah. Someone came up well, asked me if it was Action unfortunately, Bronson. you're like a guy related to Vice, and there's about seven people with Vice shows who yeah, look people, like you, Maddie, and Action people Bronson. People have asked me if I was Maddie Matson before too. Yeah. Um, the. Uh, the the uh the, oh then the one so <laughs> when i was in japan there's this wrestling store called totokan mm-hmm. where it's like a wrestling museum but everything's for sale you can buy mm, whatever yeah. you want so i bought a full new japan wrestling store yeah so i bought a full <laughs> new japan uh zip up tracksuit like the wrestlers wear to the ring uh-huh. right and uh my friend who works at the company got me free tickets to this big event they do called the g1 the second last night sold out it's uh-huh. incredible like like a dream dream of lifetime to go to this thing and so I hit him up and I'm like, yo, I just got this full uh, tracksuit. He's like, I fucking dare you to wear it. And I'm like, I'll wear it. I went by myself. So I'm like, who am I going to embarrass? Yeah. So I get there. And then all of a sudden there's this wrestler named Michael Elgin who wrestles for them. And all these dudes who's bald and has a beard and is big. And all these Japanese people just think I'm doing cosplay. And so they all come up to me and start getting photos with me. And I'm just like doing photos because all <laughs> these people think I'm doing like cosplay or that I'm actually Michael Elgin. <laughs> And then so it's like intermission during the show. I'm by myself. So I just go to the lobby to buy merch and I get stuck in this line. Right. And I look mm-hmm. up and it's fucking Minoru Suzuki doing autographs at the end. And do you know Minoru Suzuki? No, tell me who. Minoru Suzuki is is a legend in pro wrestling, but he's also a legend in mixed martial arts. Like he's one of the original Pancras guys, like one of the original. I think he wrestled pride, too. Like he's like one of the original 
guys like in, in, in MMA, like a real notorious badass. So I'm like in this line and then I like get his shirt and I get up to the front and he's just like signing people shit, right? Like it's a huge lineup of people to get shit signed. So I pass him my shirt, sign and he just gives him, goes up to give me a glance and just does like a spit take and he just like starts laughing hysterically and calls over his friends to like make, to point and laugh at me because I'm wearing this full New Japan tracksuit. <laughs> <laughs> I have a shaved head and a beard and I look like this wrestler Michael Elgin. going to take a second to tell you right now well we are in the middle of my talk with damien that uh this podcast is such a fun thing for me to do i i love it i love uh sitting down in front of my computer and uh just chatting while looking at my wallpaper which is a uh, white tiger covered in snow a Siberian tiger. It's staring at me with its lizard-like eyes. Have you ever noticed cat's eyes are sort of like a lizard or a bird? It's kind of interesting because I know they eat birds and there's probably a picture somewhere of a cat eating a lizard, but I don't think they should eat either. I wish they were vegetarian. Anyway, I uh, <laughs> love doing the podcast and I love that people listen. And I just want to let you know that there are a few ways to support this podcast if you enjoy nick flanagan weekly uh if you enjoy any of my other stuff the stand-up or uh independent writing i do even my newsletter i i put some time into and it all eats into time where i could be selling items on craigslist or uh working other things to make money so if you want to help uh contribute you can first of all just review the podcast subscribe to the podcast and rate it five stars on itunes or your purveyor of podcasts of choice um and then if you if you do have the money and the will you can give whatever you want at ko-fi that's kofi.com a great website for anyone uh who has a project that they're they're trying to get people to contribute to because it allows for one-time contributions and 100 percent of the contribution goes to the uh uh creative or whatever you'd call it the artist the blogger the podcaster so that's pretty awesome so ko-fi.com slash nick flanagan coffee.com because the whole idea is buy me a coffee i do drink coffee i've had basically two today maybe two and a half and uh yeah or you could go to patreon.com slash nick flanagan if you want to go through that website because i uh, post content to it i wish i were doing it more but i do add odds and sods to it um and that's just going to keep growing also i was thinking i have a mini cassettes of interviews i did with lots of interesting musicians especially rappers and rap hip-hop producers uh i may even have a tape of my interview with grandmaster melly mel somewhere so i'm thinking that would be really cool if i could convert the audio uh to an mp4 and and post that on the patreon would that interest you at all if i could get sort of these mildly edited uh interviews that i've done with uh musicians would would you like that and put those on the patreon because i really want to make it worth your while uh it's possible you think, you know, that me putting out, you know, two to three episodes a week 
is enough to merit a subscription or a donation, but if you want more, I am willing to give you more. Anyway, let's get back to that interview. Thanks a lot. If you can contribute, that's great. If not, just enjoy the podcast. I'm, I'm happy just to have you here. Thanks. Okay, Walking on the Sun is a debut single by American rock band Smash Mouth from the album Fush You, Meng. <laughs> uh, the B-side is f- f- three songs, Sorry About Your Penis, Dear Inez, and Push. And uh, Sorry About Your Penis? Yeah. Greg Camp uh, wrote it and Eric Valentine produced it. Who's Eric Valentine? Uh, he's the producer in the heavy metal band T-Ride. And this is the end of the Smash Mouth portion. Dude, this is like, turn, it sounds like an episode of Turned Up Punk Footnotes now. Well, I'm going to ask you about Turned Up Punk. He did Slash. He does Slash record. Oh, no, and you were saying what I get recognized the most for, it totally depends where I am. Like, if I'm at the exhibition, it's definitely for Vice Weed stuff. Uh-huh. Like, when I take the kids to the X, people are always like, yo, you're the Vice Weed dude. Yeah, the county fair vibe brings yeah. out the weed fans. Yeah, wrestling of shows, obviously, the wrestling stuff, and uh, just never for fucked up. And occasionally, like... Unless you're in Europe. Yeah. Or, you're but the, the show, the fucked up show <laughs> if in If I'm Europe. at a fucked up show, I get recognized for that. Yeah. But then, uh, and then also, uh, weirdly, for this terrible reality TV show that Laura and I did when we first got married called Newlywed Nearly Dead, which for some reason they fucking syndicated all over the world and translated to a million oh. languages. And I still get recognized for it once in a while. Do you get resids for it? Hell no. Oh, man. Got very little money. And they made me look terrible in it. I hate that. I have an audition I did for Blind Date that occasionally pops up. Really? Uh, on Instagram and stuff. Yeah, in like the early 2000s. So did you ever chill with the Sham Wow guy like outside of like the context of filming? Well, we never hung out after the commercial was filmed with Vince Offer, but he was always very kind to me. I feel like we had some phone conversations. Uh, he would always invite me over to sit at his table with all the comedians and stuff. Uh, who were working with him and uh, he would invite me into his trailer and show me the movie he was working on at the time, which was like one of these comedy compendium films. And he would butt dial me a lot years later. And uh, yeah, no, Vince was always, I mean, you know, you've got some, you've had some weird appearances. I know. Like, this is the thing is what happens is career wise, things come to such a halt that, and then the only people who sort of want to do stuff with me are these, uh, what you could call fringe characters or independent characters. Rogues. Controversial characters. And next thing you know, I'm uh, sort of borderline sanctioning, uh, you know, this guy who had a biting, uh, punching situation yeah. with a prostitute. But the fact of the matter is, what the fuck? You know, sometimes I wasn't even going to get into that. I was wanting to know, like, you've hung out with like some you've had some weird appearances in media. Uh, like on the Polaris Prize, I interviewed Mac DeMarco for that. I was on the I was host of the Polaris Prize one year. How was that? Uh, they didn't invite me back. <laughs> <laughs> that was um, fun. I had, a, I had an okay time. So uh, we just like make weird appearances. What are some of the weird appearances that might stand out to you, if anything? For you? Yeah. Uh, that one, uh, this blind date clip, which I've seen. Yeah. Uh, wasn't there a teen cred on something? Not was that a teen cred interview in Vice? Yeah, we definitely did an interview in on an early, Vice. like when yeah. Vice was still like. Yeah. Well, I've first. even written for Vice. Oh, I remember that. For the comedy issue. Nick Flanagan on the cover of I and Now. 
Uh, my hand was on the cover of Now Weekly. Oh, yeah. The I thing was the fact that it was I was on the cover of that newspaper, but I also wrote the article. By yourself? <laughs> yeah. You interviewed Which I think is for, a, for Now? Yes, and I reviewed a show, I think, too. But well, I, you started the Billy Talent beef. Started your beef with the band Billy Talent. In your I column? Because Mike, your guitarist, you went fucked to him up. For a quote, and he put his foot in his he mouth. Put his foot. He said, "Fuck him," which is actually more of an irregular thing for him to do. I feel. I think it was more so just more being like being like dismissive, like "fuck him," like more than being like "fuck him, bring it." You know. <laughs> Problem is when you see it in print, who knows? It, what it, it reads as just "fuck him." Here's my question. It was like pre-Twitter. We figured Twitter was going to be dangerous back then. Yeah, touring Europe for yes. as long as you have. Yes. Did you, like me, witness Antifa in action in Europe years before it became a thing in America? Like, well, like as an organization? Well, anti-fascist, anti-fascist, <laughs> anti-fascist, anti-fascist movements throughout Europe. Yeah, I would also witness- Most in, of the time called Antifa. I also witnessed it in, in America and Canada. Black At that block, time? We called it Black Block. Well, that and was, was different. Called, and before that, was called direct action. No, same thing. Well, dude, direct. look at Quebec City. Look at Seattle. Look at look at uh, different actions back then. Like it was the exact same thing. Like, but we're talking not about countries and and regions and cities. We're talking about fair. I'm talking about what I witnessed was fairly unified, continent wide. Uh, anti-fascist stuff. Like we played an anti-fascist action benefit in. Uh, Prague that was um, outdoors, tons of people there. La Fraction played, we played, Propaganda headlined, and there and and police had surrounded the entire area. Yeah, uh, you know every squat we went to. But that had, happened here, like dude had a had a you know like tons of. Um, but yeah, it happened here, but it was never in the news. No, it wasn't covered. And it's not, I don't think it was in the news there. I Dude, mean, it's so much wild what's not in the. Like, I was in LA mm -hmm. recently mm -hmm. and I'm walking down the street and all of a sudden I'm in a hostage situation. I'm not a held hostage, but like there's a hostage situation going on in front of me. Yeah, LA's, LA's fun, isn't it? Dude, it's a real, it, real normal place. I was like, holy fuck, there's helicopters. They like let people out. It's a big dramatic scene. Cops move in, take down the people. Mm. Nothing about it on the news. <laughs> It's like it didn't happen. I got photos on my phone or else I would think it was just like a cannabis-induced hallucination. Yeah, I mean, I remember the Trader Joe's near where I lived at one time was uh, there was a hostage situation there. And it's just like, you can't believe it. And the cops, it's not their fault necessarily, but they, uh, the one casualty was basically because a person had been released and they didn't know it was. They shot that person. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, L.A. is one of the places but, where it goes from chill to horrific in like a half second. Yeah. So I'm just saying, like, back I, think, to chill. I think this Antifa thing is like now people are like being like, oh, this is Antifa. But like anti-fascist resistance and like just like anti-capitalist resistance in the form of people dressed in black and like mm. confronting it with by any means necessary. That does start with punk. That starts with like the direct action stuff in the Squamish Five out in like sure. B.C. Like. But, but like that shit's been going on forever. And even before that, in the 60s... I've never seen stuff, anything as organized we have as what I've seen in Europe. No, you have to be like... And, I'd seen, and when we were doing this touring in America and this touring in, in Europe and Canada, 
Europe was the only place where I saw evidence of that in the mid 2000s. But I think the first you, decade you also of the mid 2000s. You also, I think, had a more 80. I think now it's going to be like that in America because, you you know, it's a lot more on the surface, this conflict. But in Europe, that conflict has existed since the end of the Second World War. That's right. And it's actually external. It probably predates punk. It would be the oh, one God, yeah. continent <laughs> where that would predate. Oh, it definitely but, predates punk. It's, it starts, it, it, it predates the Second World War, too, right? Like, mm-hmm. if you go pre- even further back, but like, uh, I read this book, The Butcher Boy. You read mm-hmm. that? I don't know what it's called. I know the it's, name. Uh, a real interesting book, but it looks, it talks about anti Semitism pre World War One. Oh, yeah. And this idea of like this sort of like us versus them, like the elites trying to divide and, and wipe out poor mm-hmm. people. Like this, this is not something new in Europe. And it's these, these sides are very entrenched. But of course, the anti Semites' uh, defense for that would be that, well, the Jews have actually gotten very rich. You know, out of all the marginalized people, which is uh, well, that's how they justified it then too. Yes, and you it's, know, like it's it's and it's like you look at that now; it's like the same justification people use for discrimination about other groups. Like, look how much money they have; they're all rich now. They don't; they're not oppressed anymore. But it's like, uh-huh. you know, like obviously that's there as a distraction. I have a belief that America might have a hard time voting for a Jew. Am I out of uh, like voting in a Jewish person's office? Am I backwards, Lance? Am do you think this could be right? Do you think, think this no matter could be who, wrong? No matter who gets voted in this time, America's gonna have a problem with it. <laughs> There's no one like you can't put that genie back in the bottle now. Like you're not gonna have like one of those just like Clinton-esque presidents who's able to do bad things and able to continue on kind mm. of like the vision of of whatever administration even obama's second even term obama, was, yeah. what, what was like a little chill you know yeah like all these like, yeah. and people were like you know but obama like people hated him and that's what i think led to the animosity sure now. yeah no that that definitely was one of the starts i would say that it was like a lot of it has to do with racism well sure but but the second uh term of george bush i think was very bad uh for the popularity of the republicans definitely and also you know, continued to have, obviously the left was hating him. And so that was very helpful for Barack Obama coming in. And uh, now it's like, yeah, they'll have a problem either way. But if Donald Trump wins again, uh, I just think that side, if we go over recent history, is the one that kicks up a lot more sort of threatening dust. You, you know, mean, you, you don't think that you think that side's going to be quiet if if, if they win, if they win, they'll be happy. Quiet. But and I don't win, think, and I don't quietly. think that the the Democratic group will have much of a a plan besides let's try to get Donald Trump arrested again because that's yeah. their only plan. And it's like maybe this isn't going to work, guys. You've been trying this for a while. He's eighty and he hasn't been arrested for anything yet. So maybe just focus on like fighting. It's, all of this other shit, if, if that actually matters to you. It's because also, I question that. I think people just want to feel like they're on the moral side sometimes, you and, know? And also, like, there's no... Like, you, people keep talking about Watergate in that era. There was a baseline media at that point. Like, some would argue maybe it was too progressive. Some would argue that it was too corporate and regressive. But, like, whatever. There was still, like, a baseline media that, at the end of the day... You turned on the news and whatever the reality that was presented you'd to you hear, was... You'd hear a pretty compact, yeah. fact-oriented uh, version be, of that. And it would be a uniform version of reality that we Generally all... Generally, it was uniform, We yeah. all, like, you know, 
we either didn't believe or we believed, mm. but we're like, this is this is reality, right? Like that's being presented to me in newspapers and all this kind of stuff. Now you hear the reality you want to hear. I'm just, it's a very stressful time, even though I'm, we're Canadian, to see this because first of all, I mean, Canada, it's just a goddamn ridiculous mess, you know? Oh, yeah. And uh, and also it's very unimaginative, you know? I, I, I feel like there's it's all pragmatism all the time. You know, even even like the new new Democrats, there's this element of pragmatism to the way they run that, you know, kind of takes I'm not talking about what they do when they're in power. I'm talking about the way they run for office. It's you know, they don't go hard, you know, uh, this curl right here. That's really throwing off my shit. Name three musical artists you're listening to right now. Uh, like they have to be contemporary artists. No, just okay. whatever you like. Uh, three I love, can't I love be more band, than three. I love that band CCCCP from Italy. Okay, what do they sound like? Uh, they're kind of like like punk but new wave. They have a xylophone, like aggressive xylophone on one song. Uh, beautiful songs. I strongly recommend. Uh, I once had to them. kill an aggressive xylophone. Kill it. I smashed it with the th- thing you used to play it. It's quite mallet. ironic. Yeah, mallet. mallet. Yeah. Are they called mallets? Uh, I, I love ceramic. It's a rapid xylophone. <laughs> rapid xylophone. So, uh, who's the other? Ceramic glow. Ceramic hello. Ceramic hello. Inventors of minimal synth from Burlington, oh, Ontario. You mentioned them buddy. to me the other day. Yes, yeah. I did in the car. And they're on Spotify or no? They are not on Spotify anymore. They took them off streaming services. They're so, on YouTube though. So you look for ceramic uh, hello on YouTube. The inventors of minimal synth. Yes. From Burlington, Ontario. The gods of minimal synth. Third minimal synth gods. Third, uh, Gizm, 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 Japanese punk, Japanese punk band, the Japanese uh, aggressive punk gods. I went back and just started re-listening to um, uh, Endless Blockade because I hadn't listened to it in a long time. Great like, band, still holds up. Great power Great violence record. band. What is a power violence, Nick? <laughs> Great power <laughs> ballad band. Weed and wrestling. Is there a third W word yeah. you love? Records, the spelling the fat way. Oh, yeah, you records. told me that the other yeah. day. Yeah, records, like fat records. Okay, he- here's this. Uh, what is your initial reasoning for uh, becoming a marijuana user and a pot advocate? Uh, I came to it at a moment of uh, panic in Europe. We were on tour. I had tried. I've been on anti-anxiety pills for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, like for about Benzos? Uh, I was on uh, Prozac, Paxil, Wellbutrin, I, uh, but not Lorazepam. all at the same time. No, right? no, uh, um, Lorazepam. Uh, That's a benzo. Yeah, I was on like so I tried everything. Like I was on the benzos for the panic attacks, and I was on uptake inhibitors. Yeah, as long as you take those really carefully, it's not going to fuck you up. I mean, it's just like don't take them every day under any circumstances, and yeah. probably don't take the whole dose. You know, no, and I find for me, I it sends me to a dark place the day after, so I can't. Yeah, really that them. too. I used to take them for sleep, and uh, didn't really help. I just think doctors really need to make it clear with sleeping pills and anti-anxiety in particular. Well, and I, I'm a, I'm not an anti-doctor person. No, no, I'm pro-doctor. Yeah, as very well. much. And but I think at the same time, like like I was saying, like wrestling is the most honest thing in the world because it admits it's a work. Yeah, doctors like. Dude, they're paid for by these drug companies. The studies are paid for by drug companies. So, like, mm-hmm. how can the person that's trying to sell you something also be providing you unbiased information about this thing? And then, like, 
obviously there's drugs that help people and drugs that do amazing, amazing things for people. But I do think as someone that was prescribed tons of these pills over the years mm -hmm. that we were in a period of amazing overprescription of painkillers for benzos of, of a lot of things. Well, I'll put it this way. I, I, I have uh, because that's all you can do when you talk is put things this way. way. Um, you know, I am definitely someone who I think that the holistic basically do as much as you possibly can, you know, uh, it doesn't mean like just because you are taking a holistic or a, like a natural solution or exercising and that's helping a little, but if you're still fucked up, no pun intended, do what it takes you can go on medication. Yeah. It's fine. But unfortunately doctors are inconsistent in their knowledge of medication for certain whatever drugs they'll have their field of specialty. That's probably, you know, but they, but they're, they're able to prescribe everything. And if they're family doctors, you'll go in there and say, I'm depressed. And they'll say, okay, well, why don't we try this one? Because this is the one that worked for other people. Yeah. I mean, nobody really wants, they haven't done them. Yeah, like, well, they don't, when they tell you like, Oh, these are the side effects. It's like, what is this? How do you know? Like I had a doctor the other day tell me, well, we know one thing for sure. We does not cure anxiety. And I'm like, well, how do you know? Like what, yeah. what, what? Like lots of strains of weed. <laughs> like, like I'm like, I, like it, it probably doesn't, but nor does this fucking pill you put me on because I did it for 10 years. I tried all your pills for 10 years. That's what I told my doctor when I finally got off them. It's like, so you don't take anything, right? No, now. no. Like I, I cannabis and like, I've gone back on, I've tried benzos because like there are places I couldn't get cannabis. And I found the, where it sent me was less beneficial than just white knuckling it as best I can and trying to get through it. And it sucked. Well, besides like, marijuana, I mean, do you have other methods? Of I, I meditate. Yeah. Um, I find that, you know, like sleep. a mindfulness, a TM, a I just do wrestlers I, meditation. I just download fucking apps and I'm like, uh, and yeah, I'm going Headspace. through and I'm like going through calm and, I'm, and I tried headspace. And I tried like, I'll go through and I'll try different things. And I just try and like, you know, buy records, anything to get myself out of that headspace. Yeah, I think that that's an important thing, you know, like this is why I'm suddenly buying like every video game system, even though it's putting me out of uh, house and home, if I were to have an issue with house <laughs> and home at the moment. Uh, yeah, that, that you know, unfortunately, short-term relief is sometimes all we have to get through these things. It's just, you know, hopefully it's not something that's a bit more dam destructive or damaging, you know? Yeah. And, um, there's that, you know, do you like the weaker thens? I mean, sure. I, I was never a fan. We played with them. Yeah. Not my thing, but you know, but I do nice guys. Yeah. Like I, I do think they're nice guys. They definitely have songs. I think John K. Sampson's an amazing lyricist. <laughs> they definitely, Actually, I'm a huge fan. I they definitely them. have fan. I uh, have songs. <laughs> yeah. Like good songs. <laughs> the ultimate compliment. He said that song where he's going to get, where you would introduce, I think letter of resignation by being like, there's so many better to, people to kill than yourself <laughs> and that's just like the philosophy that you got to go through life with yeah until all I these feel that way fuckers are gone i'm gotta stick around yeah i'm not gonna let them out with me on this thing remember that fucked up song where you go i'm suffering we're all suffering ah! is that uh circling the drain circling the drain yeah that was when i was on uh See, I was on 19 anxiety pills and I was fucking fucked up then too. Oh, and I don't think these things, I th to me, because I'm on like me. multiple medications right now. And, you know, um, I do feel like I found something that worked. Yeah, if you find something that works. And uh, there are things I want to change, but 
you know, I'll be honest with you, Damien, I'm not one of these people right now. It might change. I'm not someone who is saying, oh, but I wish I didn't have to be on these. It's like, well, yeah, of course I wish I didn't have to be on things. I wish I didn't have to live in this body. Yeah. Wish I could just float around and enter other bodies and live their lives and, you know, play whatever systems they've got at the house. And, you know, uh, I wish I could uh, be a bee for yeah. a second. I, I just found for me the, the side effects that I incurred didn't, equal the benefit I got. Of course. Yeah. I think that's important. I mean, what all I was going to say was that it's really important to be an engaged patient, which I think is the term yeah. for it that is used now because, and to have ideally a family doctor who will listen to you, you know, or is an expert and you, and, and you trust, you know, because otherwise, and you have to kind of throw your humility aside and be like, if this is starting to get weird fast, I got to like, tell someone immediately and deal with this, you know? So, I mean, yeah, but, but the, so, so marijuana, so you take it, you, 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 in what form? Uh, I, can I just... meant when, with the first time. <laughs> so I smoked when a joint. You smoked a joint. Yeah. And so what happens after that? Immediately it hit me. I'm like, this is works. This oh. is what I needed. And I had smoked weed before. And, you know, as a kid, not a kid, but like a teenager. And it was fine. Mm -hmm. But like this time it just like, it just connected. I don't really prescribe to, you know, I definitely think there's differences between strains or strains. Of course, you got your indica, kush. But those things don't exist. Sativa. Like that stuff. Like the the idea of like, like uh, two categories, one that brings you up, one that brings you down. I don't believe in that. Interesting. Because that was, came from two separate researchers working years apart that just identified two different plant varieties they witnessed. So do you think it has more to do with where you're at? I think it has a lot to do with where you're at. I think it has a lot to do with whether or not it's good, well-grown. You know, if there's contaminants like mold and other things on it. Is there it. something good to spray on weed? No. Like when you're growing it? No. Not Water, I guess. A little no. bit of your own... Uh, Urine? Or <laughs> saliva. No. No, I think anything you, anything you add to it. What if you make it watch South Park? You know, they say plants like they say definitely people. I know people like you know. I've known people that probably were watching South Park in their grow rooms when they were growing fantastic cannabis. But also, like it's gotten so dialed in now, and the level of sophistication, like where you know, like people are like, oh, like this this one, like people say it's peanut butter, but it doesn't actually taste like peanut butter. But like, <laughs> no, but it does smell like peanut butter weirdly because they've dialed in the terpenes. Terpenes. What are terpenes? Terps. You know, like they give cannabis its flavor and scent. We got a weird picture of me in here. That's the picture that comes up. Maybe I took it of you. I think you took that of me. Weird picture. That doesn't, that doesn't come on other people's phones. Okay, so I've got fan questions. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> From a legend. Allison Baker, mostly. We want to know about all your famous friends. <laughs> she, no, she wants to know about... She feels like your cell phone is full of famous people's numbers. Uh... No, like I got like you and me both know people that collect famous people's numbers for various <laughs> I know reasons. A couple of people, yeah. and those people's phones when you go through them, you're like, holy fuck, how do you know these people? Yeah, um, but most, most of them are like bookers and stuff. Like, there's a reason they have it, or yeah. like coke guys, or or but then there are also like people <laughs> that collect like celebrity phone numbers. Just like like I've had multiple people in bands over the years be like, do you want to trade phone numbers? And I'll be like, what do you mean? They'll be like. Well, well, I've got Anthony Kiedis' phone number. Right, you that's a big one. one. Anthony Kiedis, everyone seems to have that phone yeah, number. Yeah, like, I, I wonder Hello, why. would you like to trade the number with me? <laughs> and I was like, 
you know, like some people's around trade numbers. I don't really do that, but I, I definitely, um, you know, like, yeah, definitely like met, you know, been lucky and been close to some famous people and uh, okay, stole let, their let, numbers. Let me guess a couple of phone numbers you've got on your phone. Dr. Cornell West. <laughs> never met Dr. Cornell West, unfortunately. Okay. Um, Kim.com. Kim.com I've never met. Um, okay. I <laughs> no, <laughs> Bella Thorne. Bella Thorne. <laughs> Who's Bella Thorne? An actress? She's in Amityville. The no, Awakening. Lil Peep. R.I.P. Did not know Lil Peep. But I do know definitely some other... Uh, do you know the guys from play? the Suicide, Suicide Boys? Uh, They're pretty no. good. Check I, out Suicide Boys. No, but I... I, I, I yeah, I know the Adam. You know Adam DeGrosso from... Uh, Another Minneapolis name. sounds familiar. Maybe I mean he I takes photos been... of Post Malone. He's like Post Malone's photographer, <laughs> but he's like a hardcore kid. He definitely if, you go, if Bruno Lights ever came through there, he hundred percent took photos. We of did uh, a, a couple of these uh, white rappers have hardcore connections, like uh, Machine Gun Kelly. I remember when he first started, he was like covered in hardcore tattoos. He's a massive anti-flag and, fan, and was like there's like super moshy in his old videos. And also, have you seen that video of him like thrashing out to the pop punk song in front of his record label? <laughs> no. You haven't seen that? that became, oh, I heard about that. Yeah, I heard about that. He uh, he he's a massive anti-flag fan. So a certain uh, fan has asked also knowing about knowing Jack Black, which yes. is how how well would you say you know Jack Black? He's know, been a guest on your podcast. Yeah, twice. Yeah. Twice. I know him well enough that I got him as a guest on the podcast, but I wouldn't say too much better than that. We went on tour together for two weeks with uh, Tenacious D fucked up in the Foo Fighters. I've had two experiences with Jack Black. Fucking loved him both. The best dude. I uh, The first one was just interviewing Tenacious D over the phone. And if you've ever interviewed people over the phone, I assume you have, you've mm-hmm. got a long history of being on... I'm going to give you a resume now Mods at the end of the episode. Mods and Rockers was where he started, which was a pivotal sort of punk and melodic punk po- uh, radio show on, on CIUT 89.5 when we were growing up. And then you got on there with George Strombopoulos. And right? He no. Was, wasn't he involved in that show? No, Jeff Cohen, JC. No, JC, but wasn't George on it later? No. Oh, You're weird. thinking of Kim Hughes and Live in Toronto. I guess. Anyway, anyway. You're, do you think I look like Kim Hughes? Is that what you're saying? No. Do you think JC looks like Kim Hughes? No, but Sandy is Sandy looks like Kim Hughes? Not really, no. Okay. But I was that's kinda into her. <laughs> Sandy um, or Kim Hughes? Uh, Kim Hughes. Okay. But Sandy was on Mods and Rockers. Sandy was Mods and Rockers. Bassist and Sandy. fucked up, and you were both parts of, of the Mods and Rockers oh. family. And then all, then you were on Much Music. I was on Much Music as a uh, failed DJ. You were a VJ on Much Music. After uh, fucked up. You hosted the wedge the after wedge. fucked up. Drove um, it into the ground. And then you have turned out a punk. I've skipped a lot of stuff, but who cares? And of course, Vice, Weed Stuff, uh, all kinds of interesting things. But Turned Out a Punk is your podcast. And you've had like Jack Black, Anthony Bourdain. Uh, uh, Nick Flanagan. Linda Ramone. Allison uh, Baker. Allison Baker. Who, who are like some of the... Th- you've had some crazy guests even in the last like two months, I would say. Uh, I, uh, recently, uh, uh, Chris Caraba, Dashboard Confessional, was on. Okay. Uh, Linda Ramone, who we talked about. Uh, Michael Ian Black, who turns yeah. out was a hardcore band, mm-hmm. sang in a hardcore band, yep. which was definitely Craig Ferguson, mm-hmm. who drummed for <laughs> Nico from the Velvet Underground on her last tour of Scotland. You mean Scottish entertainer Craig Ferguson? You haven't heard this episode? I gotta listen to Craig Dude, it's Ferguson one of the best episode. episodes! There's nobody talking about being backstage with Nico from the Velvet Underground on the tour, and she turns to him and she goes, he's like 17, she's like, you'll remind me of Iggy. He goes, wow, thank you, she's like, You'll be dead soon. <laughs> because <laughs> guess what, Nico? Iggy's alive and so am I. And, and you're, you're dead. dead. Yeah. And uh, now Craig Ferguson, you know, it's funny. I uh, 
I, I think his talk show in retrospect was so cool. So cool. You know, like yeah. when I was watching it, I couldn't make heads or tails of the damn thing. Yeah. But I did appreciate that it was all it seemed like it was all being made up mm -hmm. on the fly. My dad liked it. And uh, there was the talking skeleton. Yeah. But then it that was in his. Dude, we did the interview and the talking skeletons at the table. <laughs> in this psycho. <laughs> but um, yeah. And in retrospect, it's like one of the last true authentic kind of talk shows of the last little while where he's he literally would just like try to have a conversation yep. with whoever his guest was a sort of unrehearsed you know thing and try to have a moment whereas now oh my god like talk shows are just like it's over johnny well the podcast took the place like he he, he was doing a podcast on tv basically i, I mean to have a conversation. conan o'brien's podcast to me is so amazing and and it's something he could never have done on his talk show. Mm -hmm. And it really made me respect him as an interviewer just so much more, even though I always obviously did, you know, but it's just like, I couldn't believe it. And he's hilarious on it. Oh, you so should have him on your show. I don't know if he has any punk connection. Anyway, so she wants to know about <laughs> how you came up with Turned Out a Punk and how that all got going. We probably got another five minutes, so let's just go. I, I stole to... that from uh, Cole, Cab Cole Cabana had a podcast, or has a podcast. That's yes, The Wrestler. The Art of Wrestling. Cole Cabana. And uh, he interviews wrestlers about mm -hmm. their life in wrestling. And I right. would listen to that on the road. And I was thinking, I've always been fascinated about how different people got into punk rock. Because mm -hmm. it wasn't, you know, the easiest path. There were easier paths you could pick as a kid of mm -hmm. stuff to be into. Um, and so I just was like, man, what if I did what Colt did, but with people in bands and just asked them about how they heard about punk music. Right. And so I, and then there's that song, I turned out a punk. So I was like, turned out a punk. Who's that by? Uh, Big Audio Dynamite. Bad. 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 Yeah. No, that's the best, so <laughs> best song. So you start the podcast, get it going. Your bros, Tristan is Tristan came in a couple years ago. I've been doing it for like five years now. It's wild. It's amazing. Um, Tristan came in a couple of years ago and was like, I'll, I'll help you book all the guests because, you know, a lot of times it would be, I'd be on tour, I'd be working on another project and I just yeah. end up just calling friends. Would and, you say you have a bit of a scattered mind? Oh my God. You, you dealt with me, buddy. Well, I do too. You know, so. Yeah. That's why I do um, all these different projects. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you should come with me to my ADHD support group. <laughs> Probably should. But then I'd be, uh, I don't know how to stop any of these plates from spinning. They're all seem to be going. Do you worry that if you labeled yourself, suddenly you'd get so uh, stressed out about it, that dealing with that, that it would make it harder to manage things? What do you mean label myself? like? Well, I find ever since sort of really reading up on ADHD, now it's like so many things that happen, I chalk up to it, but I haven't necessarily figured out solutions. So I don't always feel like I'm moving forward even though now I know about it. Yeah. So that's kind of what I was asking. Oh, yeah. Like, I I think, you know, like, I think labeling it would be maybe better. But like you're saying, it doesn't give you a solution. But there's, you know, like I've got friends, like that's the thing is I've got friends that had everything go. Right. You know, and, and then they're not here. You know, they decide they, that they can't be here anymore. Oh, they killed themselves. Yeah. And you're like looking at their situation and you're like, you had everything, you know? And I know people that have, nothing and are happy you know and it's like one of those situations where and i don't mean just money mm -hmm. i mean but just like i mean like the actual like quote trappings of that quote unquote happy life yeah and it's i've seen yeah like so a mental health to me is is the great mystery of our age and i think to get to the core of it we would really get to the core of a lot of evils in society through it 
Well, yeah, that's why. I mean, I think that the misunderstand we're misunderstanding symptoms for for disorders half the time, and uh, then the disorders are viewed. A lot of the things that they stem from are things that are viewed as basically being school related. Like, oh, you have ADHD. That means you're going to be bad at school. So let's help you be bad at school. And it's like, well, no, actually, it means socially you could be fucked up. Socially, you could uh, be in fucked up. Um, mm-hmm. Socially, well, that's the other thing. Like, I wouldn't be. You could fuck it up. Well, I came to the realization a couple of years ago that I wouldn't be in fucked up writing the songs I've written without the mental health shit I deal with. For sure. But, you know, the reason that's so important is because people wouldn't be like living whatever their life is without the, like, you know, yeah. like it it's, it's, the situation. reason people relate to you is because that's the way it is for so many people. So uh, what I'm, what I think is that if you have a coping system that again isn't damaging is a little bit ironclad or you understand why it works that's as good as anything yeah and that especially if you're managing things on multiple fronts so it's like if you were just smoking weed but you weren't like i don't know expressing yourself creatively being a dad doing all these things well then probably you'd need to be doing some other stuff you know like but you're doing it you, you're, it sounds like you're doing it on quite a few fronts. And, you know, I, it's almost like the choice to have a family to marry the person you love, to try, you know, to put some structure around your life. That's a form of treatment in, its, in itself, I think. Yeah. And, 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 you know, instead of saying, I'm miserable with these anxiety attacks and I'm going to keep living with this and just freak out half the time, you know, you were like, well, I'll try this, you know, and that got you somewhere. Well, like, yeah. like, like, uh, this whole idea of like living in a simulation that we're just living this, like, yeah, F1 19 stealth fighter, man. But you know what we need is that thing for the keyboard that has the explanation of what every, every key does. <laughs> but my, uh, <laughs> and a gaming mouse. My, my kind of beliefs is that, like, it's everything in society is performative, everything in society is, is like a simulation of, of something we perceive as being you know normal and you just got to find a way to exist in this while keeping your head together because at the end of the day no one's got their fucking head together and they're all fucked up like the leaders like you think trudeau and donald trump you know aren't like crying in the shower or something fucking worse to try to cope with their situation jerking off into pipes Dude, it's probably darker and more fucked up than anything we could even conceive of in our imagination. Even more fucked up than masturbating into a pipe. Well, like, you know, that's, that's you know, sounds pretty pleasurable, actually. But, like, I think at the same time, it's, it's, it's such, a, such a, we're all just, like, fucked up. And we're all just trying to find a system that works. And you just got to try and keep the wheels on the road. Because, like, fuck, what's the alternative? You might as well live. Who would be a better punk band front person? Garfield. Hagar the Horrible or Harry Dean Stanton? I'm sorry for not making this Harry more Dean diverse Stan. question. Harry Dean Stanton. Why? Because he you'd, otherwise you'd have to have a screen that was animated. <laughs> yeah, and he used to hang out with punk. Uh, Did he? Yeah, like he hung out. Isn't there that scene in Dig where he's hanging out with the Brian Jones Hamaskin? <laughs> Probably. Yeah, there's like a, I remember that scene very distinctly. I picture him being in a band that's like The Fall or something. Like yeah. He's like the Marky Smith guy. He would definitely guy. be The Fall in the Marky Smith guy. Or... Uh, that band Killdozer, like the little dude on the bricks. You yeah. know, that was the, yeah. the guy from Killdozer. He used to put on a pile of bricks, they said, and perform on top of it. He could also he be a little just, guy. He could also be like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Richard, uh, 
Spencer. No, the guy, the film critic, uh, the music critic guy who was involved. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Richard Met- uh, Metzger. Metzger. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this is not a good one to try and end with because it's a big question. But <laughs> you and I. Yes. And a lot of people in your band uh, for other projects were part of a bit of a, I don't want to say, rena- in my mind, it's a renaissance. Nobody talks about it. But uh, people talk about it. People the talk the about mid, it the about sort of 2005 yeah. to let's say 20, 2010 yeah. hardcore scene in Toronto, even 2012, maybe. Uh, it was like a lot of bands. We had a, and a lot a, of interconnected bands. We had a period. And a lot of people at our shows. Yeah. We had a period where a lot of bands got out there and got international exposure. We're touring all over the world. And, you know, it's not that there's not great bands now. It's just like there's not as many bands that are able to do that right now in and, Toronto. And also they are, you know, taking um, this road that we we were on in that Europe being such a big thing. And that so many places in Europe having this incredibly structured means of booking shows, we, you know, for, for bands that are touring. We also benefited from coming around in a time where people would call you up and be like, Dude, this company just gave me forty thousand dollars to throw a party in this like yeah. South by Southwest. I want to fly you and your band yeah. out and all these amazing bands. And we I didn't get that all the time, but we did once. Uh, obviously, our mutual friend uh, Timmy had a lot of things that we got to do because of him, like our Basil and, and all this South weird by Southwest stuff. stuff. All the some South by Southwest weird party. Stuff. Yeah, I guess by. we both played that show on the bridge, which is like yeah. definitely to me a legendary uh, one of the more unique rock shows we ever played on the Lamar Street Pedestrian Bridge. Bridge shows are legendary. 1, 1 a.m. Yeah, there there were only so many, and you probably played more than one. Uh, I think we did five in total, four Yeah, in total. Did you play the boat during Chaos and Teos as well? No, because we only ever played Chaos and Teos when it was still Ricky Fest. I mean, you talk well, about... We played, we played Chaos and Teos, but we just flew in and flew out. You talk about people doing something and things then existing. It's like Timmy's... Timmy Hefner's Chaos and Chaos Festival was such an extension of the punk rock scene there. But, and, and much like Will Monroe was doing Vaseline and stuff in Toronto, this, but when I say much like Will Monroe, it's like Timmy is the tip of the iceberg in that, in that story. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's, there has been a very close knit crowd in Austin that helped keep that going, mm-hmm. you know, punk rock and make it happen. Much like in, in Toronto with Will's stuff, there was this incredibly, tight-knit and large group of people who were doing so much for the endeavors he was doing endeavors the endeavors i says yeah and like graham um and transmission and yes graham of course Graham williams fun 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 festival is still like the best festival ever i had i did comedy at that yeah a great time amazing comedy amazing bands like Mm -hmm. it's such a purpose-built city for festivals too um, but we lucked out. But you're right. There was a renaissance. Like, you know, yourselves, crew suicide, ourselves, like. It Danger was loves, bayonets, terminal state, yeah. school jerks. Uh, um, adversary before that. Scare tactic, I guess, before that. Uh, just lots of different stuff. Yeah, stuff coming in from, like, our war. And, and it was just like there were a lot of bands at once. And it was a lot of different types of music. Rammer. Of course, yeah. Know. I actually had a bit of a. Uh, a rammer look at what's in the pile there. Tell uh, me what this. you think of everything. So. Look at this. Okay, we got we got 
Diamond D back with the funkiest flies Stunts, material. blunts, and hip-hop. Do you like how I showed that to the microphone? Like the microphone was a camera. Do you like that it's signed uh, by Diamond D? Is it actually signed by Diamond D? Yes. Oh, look at you. Damn. And then uh, Early Man, former Matador Records recording with artist. With Rammer. Split with Toronto Metal Legends. Rammer. Rammer. Featuring... Everybody. Featuring my friend... Dave Christensen. So Dave there is Nick's best friend growing up. Yeah. And Joel Fisher right here is Bear Witness from A Tribe Called Red's best friend growing and up. And also a guy I've known forever since high school, Joel Fisher. But he knew him before. He, he knew him before you knew him. I think. I'm sure, yeah. Sean Ramsey, Al Biddle. Biddle Bandit. So that Biddle, looks like Phil Zeller. Biddle got, do you know Biddle got Chris Slorak into music because they were neighbors growing up? No, but of course, you know, Chris Slorak of Mets was also a neighbor of mine. Or not a neighbor. He was like a young friend I know, of You mine. come up on, uh, I don't think you brought him up on your episode, but he talked about you on his episode. Yeah, well, yeah, definitely Chris and I hung out in the indie scene in the old days. And, and Mets it, was around too. Like, that's the other thing people like, you know, we're talking mm -hmm. about just like the, the capital P or capital H hardcore bands, I guess, but like Mets was kind of around at the same time. Well, that's a good thing to point out yeah. is that our bands that were punk were also a little bit, for various reasons, able to play shows that were not punk shows. And people who were not in punk bands exactly were coming to all these shows because we were all friends. So that made it bigger than it would have been had it been the sort of rec center hardcore show thing that was kind of where we were starting and also where we were when we would go out of town or, or go to other places. And also we had a mo weird moment where like, you know, you're writing for Now and I. You had a lot of people that were like hardcore kids that were like writing for Spin or yeah. writing for I Vice. was doing comedy. Yeah, so you could get written up in like, you'd be written up in different places. Like you wrote about Fucked Up and our beef with Billy Talent in the fucking newspaper. Like yeah, that was in a it's paper. funny. I used to think there was such a conflict of interest in doing all this stuff. And now it's like, I kind of wish I'd pursued it even harder yeah. because music criticism is all fucked up now. You know, and it was fucked the, up. It was all fucked up then. But I guess what I mean by yeah. all fucked up now is like the artist can turn it on the critic so easily now. But like that, I think by the same point, like critique doesn't serve the same purpose. What purpose does it serve, right? Originally like, it did, like it was a consumer service, you know? Don't buy this record, it sucks, you know? But now they're like, but now we can all listen go to, to a it. Spotify. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, we gotta figure this out, Damien. I, I think you should just find the biggest fan of every record you can and get them to write about why they love the band. And if you don't love the band, you're gonna hear it and be like, this fucking sucks, I hate it. Like, that happens to me all the time. There's so many bands that I'm supposed to like that are critically acclaimed that I just have no interest in. Nah, yeah, I yeah. Say, I recommended, like, CCP, like, a band that, like, hasn't put out a record since, like, 1990. Right. And, uh... I don't like any music. I do, just like old records. Do you have a final uh, a piece of advice you'd like to give the youth who are just, listening to this? Just do it. Nick is the best front person south of, uh... I'm the best front person... South of St. Clair... North of you right now. I think you and Danko versus would have to uh, have to duke it You're out. You're very good. Best nineties, best nineties Toronto front people. You know what the the people of the uh, world. Did you guys ever play Danko and Bruno Lights back then? I mean, uh, Teen Crow back then. Yeah, we actually they brought us. They let us open for them on like their our second show or something. Were you really mean? Or no, no, no. JC came to our second show. Okay. Or no, I, I we might have played with them. But yeah, they were always very supportive of us. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. See, so like, you know, we, there was never a beef, but like it would be, you know, like it could have been our, uh, 
the Eddie Vedder and Kurt Cobain of our scenes. So friends, just do it. Eddie Vedder, Kurt Cobain, be them, be your own Eddie, be your own Kurt, be your own pet. So we were on this camera. The whole time I'm talking to that camera, so I'm sorry. No, I never look at things. Uh, I want to use the second camera, but it's always choppy when I do, so. Do you do different angles? I would love to have have that just as a close-up on you, so you could be like, get reaction shots. (laughs) You can insert those after the fact. Well, folks, this has been, turned out, I'm Flanagan Weekly. (laughs) Listen to Damien. Abraham's podcast turned out a punk. Check out his bands, Pink Eyes. Fucked up. What's the other one? What's the other one? Criminally Insane. Criminally Insane. Bergenfield Four. Bergenfield Four. I don't. That title sounds yeah. controversial. Bergenfield and Four was uh, George Pettit from Lex on Fire. Love Crystal George. Tool. Oh my god. And uh, Ian Kehoe. Watch the wrestlers on Vice, available on Crave in Canada and in the U.S. You might have to go on the Vice channel or to like yeah. iTunes. You can find some on YouTube. Too. Some of it's on YouTube. It's widely acclaimed. All the weed stuff is on Vice. Uh, on YouTube. On YouTube, and uh, like every documentary ever. It's been a pleasure. I'm really glad we pulled this off, baby. Bye. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) And that was Damien Abraham. Damien Abraham. What a guy. Damien. Left for Damien. Pink eyes. Many different names he goes by. And I love uh, that he's done so much cool stuff. I love that... He's just deep in with wrestling, deep in with punk. Uh, he's passionate about a lot of things. He's a good dad. Uh, and, you know, it's, he's just someone I've known for such a long time. We always, we always enjoy talking. And, you know, Damien was someone who uh, a couple of times in L.A. when I was a little bit adrift, we would have phone conversations. And it was kind of a uh, grounding thing, which was very important. Anyway, he'll probably be back on the podcast because it's just that kind of podcast. It's not something where I uh, talk to a person and then their story's out and then I move on. It's like sometimes I want to have other people, uh, I want to have people back and we just talk about uh, other things because um, most of the people I have on are more than willing to talk about everything under the sun and everything under the moon and everything under that twilight zone before the sun has totally disappeared and well the moon is coming into the sky blood moon everything under the blood moon by the way black moon have a new album 90s rap icons black moon featuring buckshot aka the bdimc anyway just thought i'd throw them a little plug And if you've got music you want me to hear, send it my way. Speaking of, I'm going to see my friend's band, Bad Breed, tonight at the Horseshoe, and I can't wait. The singer in that band is named Mike Gribben. I've been in bands with him for years. Uh, Not any lately, but we've been in a lot of bands together, and we have, again, he's someone I met when I was like 13. So I hope to have him in the podcast because I'm sure we'd have a great chat. But yeah. If you want to check them out, Bad Breeder on Bandcamp and find them there. All right. Enough of me talking about other things. I'm going to go, but go to Left for Damien on Twitter and find out about all the great stuff that Damien is up to. Thanks for coming in, Damien, and thank you 
for listening to Nick Flanagan Weekly. Now we have the outro song. Oh, man. Nick. Oh, God. Flanagan oh, Weekly. Oh, man. Nick Flanagan Weekly.